What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the show. Today, I have with me my most highly requested guest, my girlfriend, Jenna. Jenna is a certified personal trainer as well as an online coach. We spend the beginning part of the conversation talking about some fun stuff like how we met and Callie and moving to Texas and how she can stand living with me and all fun stuff that you guys asked, and I appreciate that a ton. The majority of our conversation today is going to be about a couple things. One, how Jenna faces intentional weight gain in the face of wanting to build muscle. I mean, how do we detach from the scale when our goal is building muscle, which probably means seeing the scale go up. We also talk about Jenna's uh, experience with her hip surgery, which is something I think anybody who's ever been injured or is wondering how to act or just training when they're injured or how to just emotionally handle that. I think it's a wonderful story that a lot of people need to hear. We also talk about potentially what it means when you lose your period while you're in a deficit and what are the risks and how to go about assessing that risk reward ratio there. So again, appreciate everybody who asked a question. Thank you so much. I know you'll love the episode. Enjoy. Jenna. Bruno Fitness, the episode that everybody is waiting for. How are you? Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to be here. This is my first podcast, and I think, like you said, this is the one that everyone's been asking for, so I'm looking forward to it. It'll be a lot of fun. No pressure or anything, right? No pressure to perform here. Um, All right, cool. So I always start the podcast with talking a little bit about why I had a certain person on the podcast, because it's just an opportunity to have so many people on the podcast and why would I choose you? And it's mostly by popular demand, like by far the most requested guest that I've had thus far. And so that's super exciting. Um, And also, you know, so I put up a Q and A box for stuff that people wanted to ask you and people, half the people didn't even ask questions and they just said, Oh my God, I'm so excited. So um, definitely going to be a fun one. And also my first podcast in person, which is super fun. uh, Like actually being here with you, which is cool and being able to look you in the face. Not that we don't do that. 24 seven, but yeah. So honestly, you've in the least, in the least biased way, of course, like you've done a great job being super transparent about, you know, your gaining and your cutting. And I think that that's a really helpful perspective for a lot of people out there who share a similar goal or, you know, go through similar struggles. So I think that having people on the podcast who, you know, are relatable in that way and yourself is, you know, I think at the top of that food chain, so to speak, you do a really great job, like being transparent on social media. And I know that a lot of my, my followers, my clients, have reached out and said that you've been very helpful with that. So that's awesome. Very excited. Thank you. Yeah. I think when I, when I originally made my Instagram platform, it it wasn't a place where I wanted to be super open and, and honest and transparent. It was what everyone else makes their social media platform you know, a a highlight reel sharing all of the happy, positive moments of my life and, and nothing, you know, just just not sharing the raw, honest truth. And once I started my my fitness journey and, you know, spent time gaining and spent time cutting, I said, you know, you have to be honest about this because there's a lot that that you could share that a lot of other people can relate to. And that's be, that's what my Instagram has become. It's become a, a very real, honest and open platform for me to share the honest truth about everything and anything. And and by doing so, I just feel that I've connected so much more with my followers and, and that's important to me. That's awesome. I, I totally agree with that. That's great. And before we jump in, just give us a little background, how you got into fitness, you know, help people who might not know you get to know you a little bit better. Yeah. Um, started playing soccer when I was a baby um, and it grew to become the center of my life for 20 years. Um, 
I was recruited to play at a Division I university. Unfortunately, my soccer career ended due to an injury, um, and I knew that I had to do something in order to keep myself in shape um, because I guess I was afraid that I was going to gain all this weight now that I wasn't so active. Um, and, you know, I started lifting in the gym, was training legs, geez, uh, five times a week and doing cardio because I thought that's what I had to be doing. I didn't know much, but I, I was consistent and I was at the gym, you know, five, six times a week. And over time, it became much easier and it became something that I loved and enjoyed doing. It almost filled that that missing piece of my life where soccer once was. Lifting had had become that new that new passion of mine. And I had a lot of friends reaching out to me asking for help and, hey, can you train me or can you show me what you're doing in the gym? And I had no clue what I was doing. So I did get my certification, became a personal trainer, and I'm currently an online um, coach. Um, and I'm also studying for EMT school, which is something that I'm very, very excited about. Awesome. Cool. So t- what, what? tell us a little bit more what what happened in terms of the ending of your soccer career? Because you were extremely uh, much better than me. Uh, I think we both grew up playing soccer, which is like one of the things we definitely connected with right away. But you were way better than me. And, and, and what happened? Where, you, where did you go play and, and kind of how did things come to an end? Yeah, I was playing for a very competitive club team called TSF Academy. Shout out to all of my fellow TSF teammates. Um, and... Through them, I was recruited to play at Sacred Heart University in Connecticut. Um, my junior year of high school, I started experiencing some pain in my my calves, and I saw a couple of doctors, and they said, you know, you probably have shin splints. Take it easy. I had one doctor, however, tell me that he, he felt that I had compartment syndrome. And at the time, you know, junior year is when you get recruited, and that was just not an option for me because in order to – fixed compartment syndrome, you need to have surgery and kind of just ignored it and continued playing and dealt with the discomfort and the pain as it came. Um, Playing collegiate soccer is very different than playing club. It's very, very demanding. And, you know, right into the beginning of preseason, I just started having symptoms that I could not manage on my own anymore. And unfortunately, I saw a doctor and confirmed that I did, in fact, have compartment syndrome and would need surgery. And after that, I just never felt like myself again. And I just didn't have the recovery that I think I anticipated having. Um, and I had to make a really tough decision. And, and unfortunately, I had to hang up my cleats and, and put my soccer career on the back burner because I just didn't feel that I was able to play and perform the way that I once did. So yeah, and that's kind of how that, that all came to an end. Yeah, and I don't think that that's an, an overly unique so- story of like ex-athlete who, you know, doesn't make it all the way into a position where that sport takes over their adult life and thinks, okay, I still have a competitive drive, I still have a physical drive, and then turns towards, you know, fitness in some capacity, you know, in any modality. And so I think that that's really cool. I, I definitely resonate with that, being like a high school star athlete, quote unquote, but then like actually not amounting to anything from an athletic perspective and then taking some of that drive that was in me into lifting uh some of that just like drive to perform and 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 get better at something and see physical changes and be healthy and so yeah it's definitely makes a ton of sense to me so what i want to do is i want to warm up with some rapid fire questions here before we get into the deep stuff 
these are questions that people asked from the from the Q&A box that I put up last week. And uh, some of them will be a little just whatever, just kind of get to know you stuff. And then we're going to hop into some questions about gaining and cutting and uh, body image and scale being a mind fuck and all that good stuff. So if that's what you came here for, we'll get there pretty soon. So the first question is, how did we meet? And I'm actually going to, it's funny, I'm actually going to steal this one really quick. Um, when I came out of college, I took a year off and, and I and I started working at this local gym and things were going extremely well. We were building a really, uh, uh, a business that was, you know, felt booming at the time for sure. We had several really busy in-person trainers and we were thinking, I get, I suppose somewhat of like a pyramid scheme, but also just the idea of, you know, having subcontractors. There was so much business that we could not take it all on by ourselves. So we were like, well, why don't we hire more trainers and, and kind of coach them up to become, you know, versions of ourselves so that we can kind of scale that way. And so we started putting out, ad, I mean, we were just, we had no idea what we were doing. We started putting out ads on all these websites and, and talking to, you know, local people about people they knew that maybe would fit the bill. And then, uh, you know, so we had a couple of bites and a couple of people come in for interviews. And one of those people was sitting or is sitting across from me right now. And uh, yeah. And so, uh, you know, I was one of the people in charge of making the hiring and Jenna came in and she's going to tell you a little bit about that interview process. It's kind of a funny story. Um, I found out about this job potential job opportunity through a friend of mine. She was actually working out at this gym with a, another trainer. Um, and I was very hesitant about coming in, but it turned out to be, I guess, the best decision I could have made. Um, yeah, we, we sat down at the first interview, and I remember looking across at him, and I was like, okay, damn, like, this guy's really attractive. Um, and he would not look up at me from behind his laptop. He was typing away seems super disengaged and I'm like okay well you stand no chance because he's not even looking at you and there's you know all of four people in the room but um yeah and then a couple weeks later I was asked to shadow him for that entire week to just observe his sessions with his own clients and get a feel for how they train their clients and I remember standing in one of the, the rooms and I got extremely dizzy and extremely lightheaded. And this is something that I had never experienced before. Turns out I was having an anxiety attack, um, <laughs> probably just because I was so nervous being in his presence. And okay. <laughs> it's not intimidating to me in my presence at all whatsoever. Says, says the guy who didn't look up for me from behind his laptop. I was like, he's not interested and you have this massive crush on him and he just doesn't know. Um, yeah, anyway, long story short, it a couple weeks later, I had asked him, the, the men's uh, World Cup was happening at the time and I knew that he was into soccer and uh, as you guys know, I was myself. So I just asked, hey, you know, you like soccer, huh? And he was like, yep. Um and we watched one of the games together, and the rest is history. So, I, I mean, I, I pat myself on the back for being the one to make the first move because I whoa, don't know. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> no, you, def you definitely did. Um, definitely was, like, a, trying to operate in that, like, boss role for the first time in my life and, like, try to not breach that boundary. And, like, I still remember a lot of people, as people found out, that I got a lot of flack from people of it as it was, like, that's a, not a great decision, not very professional to have done that. Like, um but it really did work out. And I can imagine that, you know, that scenario usually doesn't work out, but you know, three years later, it definitely worked out. So I'm very happy that you asked me to come over and watch soccer that day. 
Yeah, it's funny too because we were we kept things a secret. We probably went, I don't know, three or four months where I mean we, we thought people didn't know, but little did we, we we later found out that a lot of people did know that there was something going on between the two of us. But I think just kind of having that massive secret was was kind of fun. It was fun sneaking around a little bit. Yeah, it definitely was. Okay. Next question is one thing that Jordan does that you can't stand and one thing he does that makes you laugh? This is a good question. Um, something he does that I can't stand. Um, he, he Just little things like leaving the refrigerator door open or turning the sink faucet on and not turning it <laughs> off or opening the cabinets and not closing the cabinets and leaving wrappers out on the counter. So little things like that. Um, and then, you know, he's just... I feel like, I mean, I am privileged because I get to know how funny and silly you really are. I, I think that's a side of you that not a lot of people know about um, to the extent that I do. You are just, he's hes the silliest, funniest person. He makes me laugh all day long. Just the things that he says, the things that he does. Um, he's, yeah, hes he's a goofball. So I laugh all day at him. Mostly when I talk in like a dog dad voice to Callie, it's like mostly Callie interactions, like me chasing her around like like a pterodactyl around the house is definitely one that gets you going. Yeah. Awesome. Next question is favorite workout clothes and favorite shoes, which uh, just to me seems like the easiest question ever. But go ahead. You answer it. We'll rapid fire these. Favorite um, workout clothes, Lululemon by far is my favorite for all things leggings. Um, I have a friend of mine who just turned me on to Sweaty Betty leggings. So those are got to be my runner up. Um, Athleta just for tops. Leggings don't don't usually fit me from Athleta. Um, and then training shoes, Noble by far. If you've been following me long enough, you know that I am a huge fan of my Noble trainers. Yeah, it's at the point where it's like a couple of days before uh, some something where I need to get you a gift. It's like, you know, whatever. It's like your birthday or Christmas or something. And I'm like, yeah, uh, okay. Um, uh, okay, new pair of nobles. Like easy, always a good way to go. Yeah. Cool. What do you listen to while you're lifting? Honestly, it depends on my mood and it depends on my workout. Um, if I have a really tough leg day that I need to get through, I'll throw on some rap. I'll listen to some Drake or some old school Little Wayne. Um, but if it's just, if, if I'm feeling like I'm in a really happy mood and it's not a super strenuous workout, I'll listen to some Millennium, Midas, Griffin, you know, the good yeah, stuff. Good stuff. Cool. All right. Favorite TV show? Ooh, honestly, <laughs> anything like murder documentary, 48 hours, 2020, um, yeah, 48 hour mystery. And then I've, I've been on, um, it's called night watch on A&E. It's all res first responders responding to EMS calls. So definitely my favorite. I've watched more murdered documentaries in the last three years than in the, maybe in the last, just from quarantine than the rest of my entire life combined. Like more, we, what do we watch? We watched the Ted Bundy one. Then we watched the, what was the other one with the guy who they, the, the community caught him or whatever. Oh, um, Ray something Ray. Uh, I don't remember what that one was. Called. That one was fucked up though. Those are some scary shit. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I would have ever watched that stuff had it not been for you, but they're pretty fucking crazy. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, oh, last one. Something that's a staple in your diet when you're cutting and something that's a staple in your diet when you're bulking. 
This is a funny question. Um, just something that I always have in the house because it's easy and convenient and satiating when I'm in a cut. I eat the vanilla Chobani complete yogurts with half a scoop of protein powder and fresh berries. That's just my go-to, especially when I'm in a deficit. And when I'm when I'm gaining, um, definitely Ben and Jerry's tonight dough. That is just my absolute weakness. So when I'm struggling to, to hit those calories for the day, it, it's easy to, to pound half a pint of Ben and Jerry's. Okay, last question. We'll move to the, to the big stuff is who is the mean parent and who is the nice parent to Callie? Jordan is definitely the disciplinary. I just don't have it in me. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the lover and let her get away with just about everything. That's not true. You're, you're better than you think. But yeah, yeah, it's definitely like I've brought you over to that side. And it's like yeah. uh, there's definitely going to be moments, children in the future, supposedly, potentially, where like... I know I'm going to be like, oh, you're grounded. And you're going to be like, okay, let's go shopping. Like, I'll see you. I'll see you. I'll see you outside in five. Yeah. I'm definitely going to be the one that's like, don't tell dad. And <laughs> there's going to be a lot of don't tell dad. Yes. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's move on to the big stuff. We're all warmed up here. The first question is what the, f- these are all questions that you guys asked that were in the Q and a box and there were some really, really good ones. And we're going to get through as many as we can right around that 45 minute mark. So First question is, what the fuck happened to your hips? And how has that whole process changed the way you view exercise or fitness or just whatever your physical pursuits? And then maybe, you know, uh, there's a lot of questions here, but what, what was hard about it and how did you work to overcome it? So let's start with what the hell happened. Yeah, um, it was probably 2018 when I first started experiencing some hip pain. I was training with a coach at the time and was doing a lot of compound movements and started experiencing some pain in the front of my hip where my hip flexors are. Um, At the time, we just thought maybe it was due to overtraining. You know, maybe I needed to do some rehab. Maybe I had to do some mobility work. And by doing all of that, I just found that the pain got progressively worse. There was nothing that was alleviating that pain. And by the spring of 2019, I had stopped lifting almost altogether because I was in so much pain and so much discomfort. And no matter what I did, I just couldn't get that pain to go away. And... We actually had a client um, at the time that was the team doctor for the New York Rangers. And he came in one day and I said, can you just do like a quick exam of my hips and just kind of give me some insight as to what could potentially be going on? And he just looked at me and he's like, you have a torn labrum. And he just knew right away what was going on. So I made an appointment with a couple different doctors. Turns out I had severe impingement due to just like the the anatomical structure of my body. Um, This was something that happened genetically. Um, I had some excess bone growth on the head of my femur and my acetabulum, which is the the part of your pelvis where the head of your femur fits into. And due to that impingement, I had a torn labrum. And yeah, I, I... had surgery in, I had my right hip done in, um, you had both, you had two torn labrums, right? It was on both sides. Yes. It, it was bilateral, meaning it was on both sides. Unfortunately, I had a, a torn labrum on the right and the left side. So I did have to have two surgeries and unfortunately they couldn't do both of those surgeries at the same time. So we had to schedule two separate surgeries, which, you know, sucked, but I had the, the right one done in September of 2019. And about eight weeks later, I had the left one done at the end of November. Um, so about eight weeks apart. Yeah. And, and I must say, just having watched you go through that process, like 
I, I had already known what had happened in college in terms of compartment syndrome and having the, you know, the thing you loved the most be taken away from you, which just breaks my heart for sure. But, and then having replaced it with lifting and not just lifting, but being fucking strong as hell. I mean, you were super strong. You were doing a lot of powerlifting programming at that time. And then having that taken away from you and, and it just, it felt really like, not that you had a big mountain to climb, but it was going to really challenge you emotionally. And like from an identity perspective, if that got taken away from you, like who were you? And, um, just, you know, I know it was tough. We had some, you know, there were sad moments for sure, but I really think you did handle that super gracefully. And, you, you know, I want you to talk about in a second, but you, you know, really took, I guess, took control of your diet as it was that thing that you felt you could really control at this time while you were just like hopped up in bed or, or, you know, icing or whatever, and like not walking or in the, you know, rehabbing both of those hips. But, um, so first I want to just say for the record, like you did handle that extremely gracefully and watching you go through that when I know, I knew how much lifting meant to you. And I knew what, man, we were fingers crossed that you were going to lift again at all. Like that you were going to be able to do a squat to parallel and, or an RDL or a deadlift or a lunge that you were going to be able to do those things at all. And, and I know personally I would lose sleep over it because I knew how much you identified with, and sometimes that can be that identifying with your body or at least what your body can do can be, it can be fickle because it can be taken away from you. So, you know, it is probably important to have other things that form your identity, but for people like you and for people like me, like I'll tell you 100% what my, my, what my body can do, you know, how I uh, uh, express my physical fitness is a part of my identity, whether, you know, how much of that is a good thing and how much of that can potentially be a bad thing because you don't have it forever. But, um, yeah, so maybe talk a little bit about the rehab process and just, I, I want to, you know, we have a bunch of other questions, but I think you are a really good example for how to take this seriously. So talk a little bit about what, you know, the timeline was for you not being able to lift and then how you gradually got back into lifting. Yeah, so when this injury first presented itself and I knew that I had to have surgery, I just felt like my body had failed me again. I said, you know, you had soccer your entire life and you know, you were super active and was very conscious about the foods that you were eating from the time that you were a kid. And I just felt like my body had failed me. And I, and I questioned why. And, and when this happened again, I'm like, you're, you're somebody who invests so much time and effort into lifting and becoming stronger and taking care of yourself and getting proper sleep and eating whole nutrient dense foods and plenty of lean proteins. I'm like, why again, you know, um, and it was really, really hard on me. And kind of like you said, you know, I was, I kind of fell into a little bit of a depression just because I did question whether or not I would ever lift again. And if I would ever be as strong as I was again, or be able to do, you know, the movements that I enjoyed most. And if you know me, you know that I am like the queen of deadlifts. And it was really, really discouraging because it had become very much a part of my identity the way that soccer once was. Um, so I definitely struggled and it was very emotional for me. And when I was hooked up to, you know, ice machines all day and was going through this recovery process, I felt there's nothing that I am really in control of other than my nutrition. And unfortunately, I, I whether I, I chose to do it purpose, purpose on purpose or not, um, I was in a calorie deficit and I had lost around 20 pounds. And I knew that in losing all that weight, I had lost a lot of my muscle and you know, my body had completely changed and I was super discouraged, but through it all, I think between listening to my doctors and his team and his staff and 
listening to my physical therapist and eventually listening to a coach that I had hired, I knew that if I did everything that I was told to do, if I listened to all of the things that my, my doctors and my team were encouraging me to do and to continue to be patient and keep working at this, that I would have the best outcome. And sure, there were days where that was really challenging for me because my mind was saying, you know, go, go, go. And my body was just saying, not yet. Um, so I, it was it was a battle between, you know, wanting to do things and wanting to listen to my doctors. And I think just being patient and, and having the support of not just my, my friends and my family, but my doctors who genuinely wanted me to get back to doing the things that I once did, you know, I had the best outcome that I could have possibly had. And sure, my hips might not be 100% because, I mean, I did have two hip surgeries. I don't think I ever anticipated that they would be 100% again, but I am back to lifting to to a, a degree that I'm very happy with. Um, and I think that I, I had such, such a successful outcome because I did listen to them and I was patient. And and it did take me, you know, over a year to to get back to lifting the way that I once did. But I am the strongest I have ever been in my entire life. And I don't think that I would have had this outcome if, like I said, I, I wasn't patient and I didn't listen to the advice and of, of my doctors and my coaches and my physical therapists. Yeah. I, I, I watched you go through that process and I, I, it's, it, I don't know you to be an impatient person. You're not, but I know that you love and maybe identify with your body's ability to perform a little bit more than I do. So it was like, I was watching it and I, I was like, I wonder how this is going to go because like you said, listening to your doctors is not easy. Like they're always going to be more patient and, or want you to be more patient or be more cautious with your body than you would want to be. And so I was interested to see how that was going to go. And obviously I tried to be on that side of things of like trying to help you be a bit more cautious, but truthfully, when it came down to it, you listened to a T you went to physical therapy for a long time. And then, and I'm not bashing physical therapy, physical therapy is fucking awesome. You need to do it. But there was a point where the physical therapy, you know, got you back to operating in a way that, you know, you didn't have a lot of pain in your hips in everyday life. But there was a gap between that and where you wanted to go, which was going back to lifting heavy and lifting often and lifting, you know, in full ranges of motion and, and getting back on a platform. And so th there was a little bit of a gap there. And I'm not, physical therapy is amazing. You need to do it. But I feel like it is important for you to, uh, to communicate to your physical therapist what your end goal is. And I think a lot of physical therapists are, their first step is let's get you back to not being in pain and moving well. Then there's a performance side of things where it's like, I want to move well, but I also want to fucking kick ass and be super strong. And I think that we together, I had been working with somebody, I had a little patella tendonitis. So I was working with a, a group of um, physical therapists called Active Life who work with a lot of competitive CrossFitters who whose main objective is getting people back into the games and back into doing compound lifts. And so you had hired somebody from active life and you uh, make no mistake. These workouts that she was getting, that we were both getting that were like more, a bit more rehabilitative were like not fun at all. A ton of fucking core work, a ton of slow eccentric, a ton of time under tension, you know, but it started to resemble actual lifting. And so I think that at that moment, something clicked where you're like, well, I'm doing lunges. I'm doing step ups, I'm doing hip thrusts, but I'm just doing them in a way that is more rehabilitative and that, you know, uh, is taking some thought from a range of motion standpoint. And, and maybe instead of worrying about you know, maximal hypertrophy or strength, I'm worried about more on, about the rehabilitative side. So I thought that that was important for you to express what you wanted so that you could seek out the people who are really prepared to bring you all the way back to where you wanted to go. But then, holy hell, I watched you do those workouts. 
so much core work, right? Building a lot of that stability and, and strength before getting back to like being able to do, I don't know, full ROM RDLs and stuff like that. So whatever, I wanted to just say that I'm super proud of you and that that was super hard to do. And I know every time you got in the gym, you wanted to, you know, sumo deadlift for a second and just do it, uh, you know, for the sake of like getting that, you know, emotional rush, but you did a great job with that. And I'm very, very proud of you. Yeah. Um, like you said, you know, you have to go through a period of, of physical therapy and there was that gap between getting back to life pain-free and, and having these strength goals. And once I did hire my coach, um, it was a lot, like you said, a lot of, you know, slow eccentrics and a lot of core work and a lot of rehabilitation. And it did resemble lifting to some degree. Um, it, sure, it wasn't, it didn't meet my standards of lifting because, you know, I wanted to squat and I wanted to deadlift. And, you know, I think sometimes, you know, Jordan would be doing a deadlift in the gym and I would run over to the bar and, you know, when he's, he has his back turned to me, I would just pull it one time because I needed that instant you know, gratification. Um, I just, I just needed to feel that. Yeah, you're trying to tell people that you lift that you that we deadlift the same weight. I see how it is. No yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. much. So, so uh, let's move on to some of the some of the diet, uh, some of the like bulking and cutting, and some of the body image stuff. And so, uh, you know, recently, I think both of us went through probably the most intentional gain, and we're probably currently in the midst of our most intentional cut that we've probably ever done. I think we've both like you know, done shorter, more bullshit versions, more like childish, like, oh, I'm going to bulk. And then six weeks later, you're like, oh, I'm going to cut. And then two weeks later, you're like, oh, I'm going to bulk. And, you know, wishy-washy nonsense for the first, you know, decade of my life at least. But this time around, I thought we took it, we were very intentional about it. Gaining was very intentional, uh, longer term. And so talk a little bit about, and I think this is the most asked question, but like, just talk a little bit about how you get past the mindfuck of the scale going up when you're in a bulk. Coming out of my hip surgeries and getting back into training, I knew that I needed to build muscle and to get stronger again. And in order to do that, I had to eat. And sure, I could have done that being at maintenance, but I, I was so eager to get that strength and those muscles back that I knew being in an intentional surplus, I would gain that muscle and that strength back faster. Um, and, you know, in, in deciding this, I knew that the number on the scale was going to go up. You're intentionally gaining. So in order to, or, or something that's going to happen is that the number on the scale is going to go up. But at the end of the day, you are signing up for this because you want to build muscle and you want to get stronger. So, you know, sure, it wasn't always easy, but um, just because it is hard to see the number on the scale go up. I think women, especially, we identify so much with the number between our toes and we want to see the lowest number on the scale that when you do start to see it go up, you're like, holy shit, you know, it's scary. But I knew that the goals that I had, I, I, I needed to eat and I needed to grow and I needed to get stronger. And in order to do that, I had to be eating in a surplus. So it was definitely tough, but you know, I couldn't be stuck in that smaller mind, you know, dieting mindset if I wanted to achieve my goals. And you know, bulking isn't forever. There would come a time where I would, you know, reach the end of my my bulk and would start to cut again. And I knew that once I got to that point, you know, I would have so much muscle to show for it. Um, so, you know, it's not forever. And the number on the scale doesn't define me. I'm so much more than that. And, you know, it's funny, I, I say that the scale ain't shit, sis, but I mean, it's true. It's not shit. Um, it, 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 isn't, it isn't something that defines who I am. Yeah. Okay. So I hear, 
I hear a couple of things. It's like, okay, how do you how did you deal with the mindfuck of the scale going up? And the first thing I think I hear you say is that it was voluntary and you chose to do this. This isn't something that you have to do. You did not have to do this. And when you choose something that you want to do, then you are accepting of those consequences. And if you wanted to gain muscle, and like you said, I think you said that beautifully, is that you did not have to do that. You could have probably eaten a little bit more, you know, gotten out of your deficit, gone to maintenance, and you would have gained a good amount of muscle and some glycogen and some strength, and it would have been great. But you knew that, and you thought, okay, that's one option, or I could gain at a faster rate and gain my muscle back quicker. And that was what was most important to you. And so you chose voluntary weight gain. I just repeat that out there, guys. You, no one has to go into a bulk. Nobody listening to this has to go into a bulk. But if you choose that maximum rate of muscle gain is the most important thing for you right now, then you're going to have to go into a surplus, and then you're going to have to gain a little bit of weight. So the first thing I hear you say is that it's, it was voluntary. The second thing is that it's temporary. And so you're like, I'm choosing to do this and I'm acknowledging that it's not forever. And then the third thing is that it's goal oriented. It's like, I'm choosing to do this, it's not forever. And I guess this kind of is some some sub, sub uh, nature of the voluntary, but it is it, it matches up with what I say I want. And what you wanted at that moment was to, I know that people are gonna hear that you lost 20 pounds when you were recovering from surgery and they're gonna be super hyped for you, but I know that you were not super hyped. And yeah, okay, some fat loss was fine, but I think when you really got down to it, you're like, holy crap, I lost a ton of muscle and this is not what I wanted. And so in that moment, you were like, I'm gonna get my muscle back as fast as possible. And this was what you know gets muscle back the fastest. No matter what circumstance you're in, surplus is gonna build muscle the fastest. And that was what your goal was. And so saying to yourself, I'm choosing to do this, Nobody's forcing me to do this. This is voluntary. And saying, it's temporary. Yes, one day I also can go into a voluntary cutting phase or not and, you know, quote unquote, reveal muscle. And I, and I will say for for people out there, like, just because you did one eight-week bulk does not mean you're going to cut and look drastically different. Like, I think I cut for, I think I bulked for about 18 months and I think you bulked for like about a year. Okay, that's going to, you know, if you bulk for a year, then you're going to, you know, cut down and, and see some visible change. I don't think that there's like this, I have a lot of people who are like, I really hope I'm going to see a big change. I'm like, how long did you cut? They're like six weeks. I'm like, you ain't going to see shit. Like it's really about putting the time in uh, and, and, you know, potentially being a bit uncomfortable. So um, I think you said that, that wonderfully. Next question I'd like to, it's, it, these are going to be kind of sub sub questions of that is like when you're gaining the weight, like, and, and to me, sometimes I'm about to ask you this question, but the answer to me seems so simple. And I'm, and I'm curious how you're going to phrase it. It's like, how did you deal with the fact that you were getting larger? Like, like the clothes might have not been fitting well and, you know, you knew you were gaining excess body fat. Yeah, it wasn't until about, I, I gained intentionally for seven and a half months. And I think my when I initially started gaining, I thought, okay, you know, maybe I'll do this for five months. Um, but I got to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm kind of enjoying this and I want to keep going. Um, but around month six, I got very uncomfortable. Um, like you said, you know, my clothes weren't fitting my leggings, which usually suck you in. I'm now like pouring out of them and my shirts were all extremely tight and I felt bigger and I felt uncomfortable. And sometimes, you know, being uncomfortable and pushing that comfort zone in order to achieve your goals is something that you have to do. And for me, it was a no brainer. I'm like, okay, you want to continue getting stronger and you want to continue building muscle. So, you know, instead of gaining for five months, I was like, let's push this a little bit longer. And sure, it, it's uncomfortable to some degree. And it, it definitely, you know, <laughs> it served its purpose, but I was, and I was ready to move on after seven and a half months. But 
like I said, you know, I had have never been stronger. I've never had so much muscle and you know, for me, it was worth it. But again, like you said, you know, you don't have to gain. You d- you definitely don't have to. You know, no one told me I had to do this. It was something that at the end of the day I chose to do. Yeah, agreed. And and that was, that that's the most important part is just accepting that you don't have to do this. Now, one thing I think about just having dealt with clients, both of us over the years, I think that it's, there's a, you were uncomfortable, even with all the skills that you have, even with a partner that is going through it with you, it totally supports you, even with the knowledge that you have, even with the level of autonomy you have over your life. But there's, I think something, I think a lot of people are afraid to gain because they don't believe that they'll be able to cut it off and they feel like this, the weight that they gain is permanent. And do you feel like going through that gain and and maybe not in the beginning when you weren't super uncomfortable, but at that moment where you're like, okay, I'm starting to get uncomfortable, but I know pushing further is what I want to do. Did part of you feel comforted by the fact that you felt confident that you'd be able to cut it off, that you like to, to cut down again? Like some people, I just feel like there's a lack of confidence that they'll be, that, that fat loss is available to them, that they can even do that. And they, they feel like every pound that is gained is just like some permanent, you know, accumulation of fat. Just like gaining was something that I chose to do. Losing fat is something that I knew I was going to choose to do because it was important to me and it was something that I wanted to do. No one was telling me, you know, you have to gain and no one was telling me you have to cut either. This is a decision that I knew I wanted to make because I said, you know, you just spent seven and a half months intentionally gaining and you're uncomfortable where you are, you know, at the end of my gain that I wanted to cut because I wanted to feel comfortable again. And I wanted to reveal some of those muscles that I had spent months you know, working towards, there's Alexa. <laughs> God damn it, Alexa. Alexa, stop. Um, I lost my train of thought now. Um, okay, hold on. Let's move. I want to ask a couple, because I think that there's, uh, I think the level, I think being uncomfortable is a known factor. Everyone listening to this, okay, I'm gaining a, a, a more body fat than I want, even though it's voluntary, it's temporary, it's goal-oriented, we know all of that. But let's talk about the good stuff, because... Too, all too often, we're like, yeah, you know, gaining's uncomfortable. I'm gaining more body fat than I want. My clothes don't fit. And it's just like this big Debbie Downer. And, and, I, and I made an infographic a while back about this. If you were to make a pros and cons list, the pros that come from, and we can put, we can lump gaining and recomping, like being at maintenance on one side and being in a deficit on the other side and kind of break them up into two columns. The pros column of gaining is something I think needs more discussion about or gaining or at least maintaining like just the pros of being the fuck out of a deficit. And so thinking about those seven months, like what was fun? Oh man, all the food freedom. It's like when you're stuck in this dieting mentality, wanting to become the smaller version of yourself, you know, you're making a lot of trade-offs and you're, you're, you're maybe restricting or over restricting, or you're not having some of your favorite foods and man, over time, that just sucks. Like sometimes I just want a a slice of pizza or I want to have half a pint of Ben and Jerry's. So having that food freedom was a blast. Um, also my training was, was a lot of fun. You know, I was eating a lot and I felt really strong and I was building muscle and, you know, improving or, or matching or beating my, my reps from the week prior or increasing weight. And it was just a blast. Um, my life was, was happier with, with more food. Yeah, no brainer. Life is better with more food. I posted yesterday about, um, you know, if you're new to training, should you bulk or should you cut or should you recomp? That just that line of thinking. And somebody commented and something that I thought was super important. And I feel like if you're out there and you're just starting in getting into the gym and you're wondering if should you bulk or should you cut, you're listening to us talk. Okay, maximum muscle gain. We got to bulk. There's something about beginning your journey not in a deficit 
that I think really leads to the enjoyment of training being a bit higher, like really establishing that enjoyment. Because if you, like you said, your training is fucking awesome and it is, man, you know, more food is going to give you better training. This is, you know, independent of other factors, obviously. But if you're new to training and you start your training journey, you get on your first program and you coincide that, or you do that at the same time as a cut, like you're going to not, training's not going to be that great. And I feel like a lot of times if I have somebody who's new to training, it's like, well, you know, they're going to enjoy their training more because they're going to perform better because they're going to see more progress with more food. And so sometimes even just doing a couple of mesocycles right out of the gate with somebody who's new to training, like not in a deficit. Yeah, maybe you want to lose fat, but shit, your training's not going to be as fun. You're not going to perform as well. You're not going to, you know, see as much quote unquote progress. And so when you're really starting out, establishing your enjoyment of training with in the presence of more food at maintenance and bulk, whatever, um, I think is something that does get overlooked. I do see people who hop right into a deficit their first time weight training and they're like, first of all, if it's your first time weight training and you're in deficit, you're still going to see progress. You're still going to make strength gains. But maybe there's some like lack of, you know, uh, peak energy levels and it might just not be as fun. So that's just something I wanted to note. So what was fun was that you had a ton more food. Life is just way fucking better with more food. Like it's not that you couldn't have a slice of pizza. It's not that you couldn't have Ben and Jerry's. It's like, okay, if I'm always in this cutting mindset, I just likely have less calories. And that kind of pushes those foods into like more of like a sometimes, you know, uh, they're just not great calorie, uh, like satiety per calorie ratio choice foods. And so... Yeah, main takeaways, it was super fun. Training was great. A ton of food flexibility. That's awesome. Um, yeah, and, and so wrapping that up, kind of what would be some of just the main takeaways that, you, you know, because we're on the other side of that cut, uh, that bulk now and we're not, you're not in a bulk anymore. We're cutting right now. So just kind of looking back on it, like how, uh, what are some things that you might have learned that you might take into your next bulk if you do one? Yeah, um, a main takeaway is that I gained a ton of muscle and that was what I was after. And that was so exciting. Um, I think I gained more muscle than I initially anticipated. You know, this was my first intentional gain. I don't think I knew what I was going to get out of it. And I, I gained more muscle than I anticipated and I'm stronger than I've ever been. And there, there's a 100% chance that I will do it again. Awesome. Super cool. Yeah. And I think that, I think you and I were talking the other day that it's definitely something we want to do again. Uh, we want to take some of the things that we learned uh, and apply them into our next our next gain. And I think that, uh, uh, not to steal that question, but I think the two things that you and I have talked about that we did learn was that, you know, your your best gains are probably on the other side of that, like, level of discomfort. And I think that just if you turn around at the first sign of discomfort, like, you're going to be flip-flopping between gaining and cutting. And the same goes for cutting. If you turn around at the first sign of hunger, and obviously it's contextual, you shouldn't be starving all the time, but, like, your best progress is probably just on the other side of a, a decent level of discomfort um, for sure. And then I, I suppose the second thing that for me, at least that was a takeaway from the gain was that having a bit of a longer gain that might be a little bit slower and we can make physiological arguments about, you know, what's your optimal rate of gain so that you gain the most muscle, all of that stuff, but spending more literal net time in a deficit, uh, in a surplus across your life, you know, I guess we can break it down into a year even if you're gaining a little bit slower, you're spending more time out of a deficit. And even if you, you know, we know that you don't need a large surplus to gain maximum muscle. We're, we're talking about, you know, t- five to 15% surplus over maintenance. We're talking about gaining, you know, one to 2% max body weight per month, per month. Um, and so I think that, you know, was something that we learned was that gaining for a long time was very meaningful. It, that doesn't necessarily equate to gaining a ton of body fat, 
yes, that they are correlated. Of course, longer in a surplus, the more body fat you gain, but maybe a lower and slower approach where you're in a surplus for a longer time might be beneficial, especially if it's your first time doing it and you're like, okay, I don't want to gain 10 pounds in a month or two months or whatever, which obviously would be too much. Excellent. All righty. Next question here is, do you struggle with body image issues? And how have you, if you have, tried working on improving that? Oh my goodness. Good question. Yeah, absolutely. I'm human. Of course, I struggle with some body image issues. Um, I've definitely gotten much better about it over over the last couple of months um, because I... I unfollowed a lot of people on social media. I've unfollowed a lot of accounts that just don't make me feel good about myself. Um, there's a lot of social media pages out there that are pure highlight reels. And, you know, people are using, you know, apps to edit themselves to make, you know, themselves look more appealing. And, you know, it, it's 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 just not real life. And so I unfollow those accounts because like I said, they just don't serve me in a positive way. Um, and, and there are certainly still times where I find myself nitpicking and, and finding things about myself that I don't like, or that, you know, I'm comparing to somebody else, but you know, I am somebody who I go to therapy and I talk these, these things through with my therapist and they're just taking up space in my, in my brain that they just, they don't belong there. So definitely going to therapy, unfollowing accounts on social media that just don't serve me in a positive way has, has helped me learn to love and accept myself in, in new ways, because there's just so much love that I think we, we deserve to give ourselves, you know, that, that self-love is so unbelievably important. Agreed. And I think that, um, I think I'm even just recently, I, you know, having watched you going to therapy and seeing how that's been a super positive experience, I too have begun going to therapy and just, you know, just kind of unpacking some of that stuff that you might not realize kind of does come down to like some root, you know, feelings of uh, self-love is obviously a super nebulous term that we don't even know what that means, but like certain feelings of the way that you feel about yourself. And so, yeah, definitely think that that's been super helpful. Um, Excellent. Uh, What did I want to, okay. So I want to ask you uh, before I ramble on it and something I've talked about on the podcast, but, and, and I don't want to put you and I up on a pedestal and I don't want to make it seem like you can't do what we did without our circumstance, but do you feel and how do you feel that having you and I going through it together or maybe just having somebody who, you know, even if I wasn't going through the cut, like I very much understand what's going on. Like how much, how much was that support and us going through it together really helpful? Yeah, going through a cut with someone who supports you or, or just gets you makes it that much easier. Um, you know, it, it was hard for us because we had just moved to Texas and there's amazing taco restaurants and and barbecue. And, you know, we're both in the middle of a cut and, you know, we're, we've decided to make those trade-offs to not go out and eat. And sure, there's been a couple of weekends where we would say, you know, Saturday morning, okay, we're going to go out to dinner tonight. And, you know, 5 p.m. rolls around and I'm like, you know, Jordan... I kind of don't want to go tonight because I don't want to have to just order, you know, salad with chicken. You know, I want to get tacos and I want to get barbecue. And in those moments, you know, I make those trade-offs and I make those choices because my fat loss goals are really important to me. And, you know, there's no judgment from you because you're going through it too and you understand. Um, So just having the support of one another and (laughs) no judgment has made, you know, our cut so much easier. I also think that there's, going back to what you said about it being temporary, like I know that we've, and we've gone out several times since we've been here, but like, you know, 
full-blown barbecue and, and all-you-can-eat tacos maybe is not yet. And we've had both of those, but in smaller capacities. But it's just, just because you're choosing not to have something now does not mean you're choosing not to have it forever. Like, I promise you, like, if you get a pay cut at work, right, you're making less money, don't you think you're going to change your spending habits a little? And so we have had less calories. And so when you have less calories, you know, in my opinion, at least personally, and I've talked about this on podcasts, like hunger is the thing that I'm just like, I don't want to deal with being hungry. I'd rather temporarily, you know, up my percentage of home cooked meals and decrease my percentage of uh, takeout, let's say, than be hungry, you know, and put myself in a, a position where I can't, you know, I can't do podcasts and I can't do my work well because I'm cognitively not there. And so I think that, you know, somebody might hear the fact that, you know, at in the morning we decide to go out for tacos and then in the evening we abort mission and we're like, you know what, actually I don't want to do that. But that decision to not do that or to whatever, the decision to do anything that prioritizes your fat loss phase maybe over uh, mouth pleasure, like that is not disordered. Like there's something wrong with that. Like it is there's something wrong if you think that you can't do that. There's something wrong with you if you choose in the right headspace not to do that because it's temporary. It's voluntary. It's not forever. I promise you, you're going to see some serious barbecue on our, on our stories at some point. And, um, and again, it's not that you cannot have those things. You totally can. You can have anything. You just can't have everything all the time. And so when we're in this cutting phase, you know, we're both like, okay, let's cook a little bit more, which inherently is going to bring down the calories of your meal. And, um, Honestly, I don't know about you, but that's been super fun, actually, just from a couple's activity perspective. Like, I'm not, I'm not fucking Wolfgang Puck or anything, but um, just the two of us getting a little bit more into cooking has been super helpful. And so maybe, you know, if you're out there and you do or don't have a spouse or boyfriend, whatever, girlfriend that you're, you know, really going through this with, making, you know, if cooking, if cooking meal, more meals at home is like one of the, one of the biggest like non-tracking indirect ways to bring down your calories and increase your nutrition, then making that into like a, you know, something that you guys do together. And so I think that it's not been something that's been, I haven't felt that that's been a sacrifice. I've actually felt super enjoying it, just enjoying it a ton, going down and grilling and, you know, make, you know, making recipes and all this stuff. It's been something that's been super, super social and I, and I really enjoyed it. Um, okay. Awesome. And so uh, a lot of these questions uh, to me come down to a very similar fundamental line of thinking. And so when I ask them, like, I can imagine what you're going to say, but you know, how do you stay so consistent in your cut, because I do think that you do an amazing job being transparent on your social media. And so those people probably see exactly what I see, which is a, a tremendous amount of consistency. Like you're doing quote unquote wonderfully. Like how do you stay so consistent? My goals are important to me. And for, you know, I don't want to be in a calorie deficit a day longer than I have to. Um, so I, I want to get in, I want to be consistent. I want to do the work and I, I want to get out. Um, so, you know, it's just a matter of, of making those trade-offs and realizing uh, again, like you said, you know, this is temporary. Um, you and I also just don't have very social lives. Um, so it's easy for us to stay in on the weekends. And like you said, you know, go down and grill our, our dinner and prepare our own food and have a lot of high satiety, you know, meals throughout the day. A lot of the meals that I'm eating are meals that I enjoy. You know, I enjoy having fresh berries and fruits and vegetables and lean proteins throughout the day um, because those are foods that I enjoy. So it's easier for me to be consistent and to stick to, you know, my, my cut because I'm eating things I enjoy. I'm also not restricting, you know, some of my, my favorite foods. Sure, I'm not eating, you know, super calorie dense, you know, snacks anymore. I'm having, you know, Yasso Greek yogurt, hundred calorie ice cream bars, or, you know, outshine simply indulgent Greek yogurt bars. Um, 
and, and just having those little snacks throughout the day keeps me going. Um, so, you know, I think also just, just like I said, you know, getting in, doing the work, being consistent and getting out because sure, I want to start going out and having some tacos and some barbecue and having that food freedom again. Agreed. And, and I think that there's, you know, your success is probably going to be a combination of your internal motivation and your external environment's ability to allow you to kind of capitalize on that. So it's like, how much do you want it? And I think, so you want, you want this. It's, it's important. We can call it, it, you know, it ranks highly in your, what's important to you right now. But then I also think that there is an external environment. Like we talked about having me and, and us having just moved here, like we don't freaking know anybody. And so it's not like we're like going out with friends on the weekends every weekend. So this was kind of a perfect time for us to be super adherent with low amounts of temptation. And I don't say that to discourage anybody out there who's not in that situation. I do that kind of because if you're out there and you think that fat loss is going to be easy with your, you know, eating out four times a week and going to happy hour twice and meeting your friend, keeping your normal life, like your normal life and maintenance, it's going to be hard. Uh, it's possible. It's totally possible. But we both work with clients who have essentially virtually all of them have more robust social lives than us, let's say, especially now. But, you know, it's just going to be difficult if you're refusing to make some form of a trade-off. And so I don't want you guys to hear that and be like, oh, I can't, I can't lose weight because I don't have a spouse who does this for a living with me and we have kids and, you know, I have other responsibilities. Yeah, you first of all, you can do all of those things. You can cut, you can gain, you can make physical progress, but it's just going to be harder. And I just don't want anybody out there to think, it's only available to people in our situation. Of course it's not, but it's going to be a little bit harder. Cool. All right. Moving to our last question here. We're going to talk a little bit about, you know, amenorrhea or losing your period during your cut, because I think you had expressed, and I'll kind of set the scene is that, you know, well, actually I'm not going to set the scene. Fuck this. I don't want to talk too much. You're going to talk about kind of what has happened and what you've you know, a little bit about what you've told, but we're both going to preface this with the fact that we're both not doctors and you should absolutely talk about this with your doctor. You should not be, unless the podcast has doctors on it, be taking that information at face value. Um, so check with your physician, your gynecologist, all of the, your endocrinologist, all of those people, you know, to decide what's best for you. So why don't we talk a little bit about um, having lost your cut and your, or your period in the cut and maybe your experience with that in the past and kind of how you've come to making the decisions that you are currently making. When I was cutting after my hip surgery, um, between being in a calorie deficit, being on different pain medications, coming off of anesthesia, I did lose my period. And that was something that I had never experienced before. I've been very regular my entire life. Um, so it did raise some red flags and I was concerned and I went to my doctor and we talked about it and I had a million tests done and everything came back perfectly fine. Um, my doctor didn't feel that there was anything, you know, that we had to worry or be concerned about. So I, I wasn't stressing about it because I had, you know, the, the confirmation from my doctor that everything was fine. Um, and then once I did, you know, transition back out of a deficit into maintenance, was eating in a surplus, I had a very regular period every single month. So I wasn't concerned. And, you know, I didn't lose my period this cut day one. Um, I, you know, it did take a couple of months and, and I, I'm still not, overly concerned because I've had these conversations with my doctor before and I spend the majority of the year not in a calorie deficit. And I think because I don't spend, you know, the majority of a year in a deficit that, you know, there's no health concerns. Um, then again, that's something that you, you have to talk to your doctor about. That's something that I have a very open and honest, you know, conversation with my doctor about because it was something that you know, at the time did raise some red flags, but after speaking with her, after having tests done, you know, I know that 
I, I am, I'm in pretty good shape. So I'm not, I'm not overly concerned. And to be clear, losing your period is a bad thing. Losing your period is not good. You should not be losing your period, right? Losing your period is a sign of uh, an overly stressed out body for uh, your physiology is, is in a high stress environment for, it could be a multitude of reasons you could lose your period just because you're stressed at work. It doesn't necessarily have to be a deficit or, you know, it could be poor sleep. It could be overtraining, it could be work stress, it could be just any life stress on the body. It's a bad thing and it should not happen. Now, if, and then just to reiterate what you said, you know, we're know, 12 weeks into this cut and we both agreed where we have two weeks left and then we're getting out. And so, you know, for you to, if you lose your period, that is an absolute red flag. You should absolutely strongly consider getting out of a deficit, talking with your doctor, you know, talking about why that might be. But I think that you are in the situation where, and again, we're not doctors. If there's someone out there who's going to have an issue with this, like, okay, like shoot me a DM, let's talk about it. But like, we have two weeks left in a deficit that we've decided based on other external factors that really work for us. Um, and for you to have lost your period two weeks ago, okay, it's not like you're going to go another six months and run your fucking body into the ground and lose your period for a super long time. And that's not what we're talking about here. That's a terrible idea. Losing your period is a bad thing and continuing to push on for a long time without your period, that's also a bad thing. But for you to have had a normal period throughout most of the cut and then missed one cycle of your cut with two weeks to go and for you to choose... And I think that's the context that got lost a little bit when you were discussing it. It's like, you had a normal period this whole time and then you missed it for one cycle. You know, we don't even know if that's deficit related. That could have been the move related. That could have been external environment related. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't act on that. But the fact that you're choosing to go two more weeks and then you know because you spend, man, we're going to do, and, and I actually shout out to the butter your macros, Nat, Natalie, you had just posted today of like, um, doing one cut per year or none and maximum about one cut per year. That means that, you know, the majority of your life is not going to be in this deficit, in this state of overly, you know, being physiological, physiologically stressed. So you're gonna, we're going to spend two more weeks in a deficit. You're going to go back to maintenance. We're probably going to go to bulking, you know, at the end of the summer, everything's going to go back to normal. And it's not like you went, you know, fucking 10 cycles with, with the knowledge of, you know, having amenorrhea and having lost your period of been like, Oh yeah, fuck it. I'll just run myself into the ground. Like, we're talking about like, two extra weeks. And so, yeah. Okay. Sorry. I just wanted that to be said because I feel like that context was missed. And I was, you know, we had talked about some of the questions that you were getting basically like people like yelling at you and, and guilting you and telling you you're doing something stupid and harming your body. And it's like, okay, chill the fuck out. I'm going to go two more weeks in my deficit and then I'm going to get out and I'm going to be in a nourished uh, physiological state. And I know that it will come back. And so I needed to go on that, that little rant. Cool. Excellent. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about Bruno fitness? Anything else that I wanted to talk about? No, I, I was honored when you asked me to be on your podcast. And like, wow. I would have gotten lynched if I did not have you on the podcast. So like as much as I wanted to, I would have gotten shanked in my sleep by followers and clients if I didn't have you on. Yeah, we've been talking about this for a while, even before we moved. Um, uh, people have even reached out, you know, when are you going to be on Jordan's podcast? And I'm like, I don't know when he invites me on. Um, so yeah, this was a lot of fun. This was exciting. It was my first podcast. I guess, you know, doing it with you helps me ease into doing it because I do have another one coming up um, with somebody else next week. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. So thank you for having me on. Super, super fun. Uh, just quickly give people a, a, a place where they can come find you, plug Instagram, whatever you want to do, and then we'll get you out of here because you got to walk Cali. Yeah, of course. Um, you guys can find me on Instagram at um, JM Bruno Fitness. Um, if you ever have any questions, comments, or concerns, please reach out to me. I would love to chat with you. Um, I'm, I'm always, you know, open to, to chatting with my followers. 
Excellent. Thanks for coming on, JB. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you liked the episode, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media or left a five-star review on iTunes. That stuff really helps. If you ever want to get in touch with me, just shoot me a DM on Instagram, at Jordan Lips Fitness. I'm always around to chat. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.